0: I wonder what you're hoping for this Christmas. Christmas for me always means a mix of family and fun and food and also the hope of presents. But I grew up as one of five children. And when you grow up in a big family, you can't escape the idea that if you had one or two fewer siblings, you might get larger presents. It just comes with the turf. And so to add to that, my dad had been born and bred in Yorkshire, he had left school at 15, he would worked in a coal mine and so when he was raising his children his greatest fear was that we might become privileged or entitled and so he didn't really like to give large presents and, um, and we noticed this, we noticed that friends and even cousins were getting much larger presents at Christmases than us and so we complained to him about it and he looked us in the eye and he said Maybe their parents don't love them as much as I love you. And we said, what do you mean? He said, well, they're compensating for the fact they don't love them. And I was even as a child, I thought, I'm not sure that makes sense, actually. But um, there was one Christmas where we desperately wanted a computer. Everyone we knew was getting a computer. We were desperate for a computer. We begged my dad for a computer. He wasn't having any of it. It had been a difficult year. But then on Christmas morning, we came downstairs and there under the Christmas tree was a very large computer-sized box. And so we jumped on it, we unwrapped it, we were so excited and inside this computer-sized box, to our shock and surprise, were bricks, uh, not Lego bricks, actual house bricks. And, um, and it's hard to describe the sense of disappointment that you feel as a child when your father gives you a brick. And, um, and so we thought he'd crossed the line. We were fed up, you know, can't you give us a brick? What is this about? And we all kind of stormed out of the house. And I was quite a melodramatic child. So I walked out into the front garden and I said, I can't believe my life has come to this. I've been given a brick for Christmas. And, uh, and I was walking through the front garden I'm just so fed up and I walked past some bins at the end of our garden I was just like kicking some boxes by the bins and then I kicked one box and it kind of made an unusual noise I looked down and it was actually unlike the other boxes it was a brand new box that's strange and I reached down I pulled it out slightly I opened up the box and there to my astonishment Was a computer. And I kind of called over my brother and sister. I said, Look, it's a Christmas miracle. We've got a computer. And we were kind of pulling it out. And we were saying, You can keep your bricks. We've got a computer. And my dad came out. And I looked at him. And he had what I can only describe as a smug smile on his face. And I looked at the bins. I looked at this box. I looked at the computer. I looked back at my dad. And I thought, He planned. The whole thing. That's outrageous. You're not allowed to do that. You can't perform experiments on children. <laughs> of course, I've forgiven him now. Uh, but life can sometimes feel a little bit like that. We put all our hopes, particularly at Christmas, in these sparkly things. And then after a few days, they lose some of their draw. They tend to disappoint us. But what if the very thing that we walk past 364 days of the year and don't think much of has within it all that we ever hoped for? Hope is such an important thing. Two of the most important questions in life are, what are you hoping for? And in what or whom are your hopes found? In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 12, it says, the nations will put their hope in his name. Hope has a name and that name is Jesus. But how? How can a baby born 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, bring hope to me today, spark hope in me today? Because we need hope. It's been a difficult few years. Lots of us are still processing 2020. And 2023 is just around the corner. You feel like saying, can all the crises just stop for a moment? I just need to, a few months just to sort things out. Someone said there are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. It feels like we've had a number of those weeks over the last few years. It can feel a bit chaotic. But when you've got hope, you can keep going. Hope gives you A real strength, even in the most difficult situations. Hope enables you to keep pushing forward even when the hits keep on coming. And what I find fascinating is that even at his birth, Jesus was surrounded by people who needed hope, people who didn't have it all together, people whose lives were confusing, out of control. I mean, look at Mary and Joseph. They've already got a census. It's a crazy time trying to get back to your hometown. They're engaged. It's crazy to be engaged. Such a difficult, confusing time. And then Mary gets pregnant, and that's crazy as well. All of it coming together, experiencing and navigating huge political, relational, familial complexity. So young, and then asking really basic questions, no doubt. Like, are we going to find somewhere warm and safe where we can have this baby? And placing their hope in this little tiny baby, that this little tiny baby might be the saviour of the world. That this baby who can't yet speak might one day speak words of such truth that they set people free. This baby who has to be fed might one day be the bread of life that brings life in all its fullness to people's lives. That this baby who has to be carried might one day carry on his shoulders, the sins of the world, to bring us forgiveness and redemption. That this baby that's just been born might one day conquer death. How much hope can they have had in a tiny baby? Well, it's not actually the amount of your hope that's important. It's the object of your hope. It's the place or the person you're putting your hope in. A tiny bit of hope in the right person is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Look at the shepherds. They hope that this might be it. This might be the moment. This isn't just another night for them. That this might be their chance to meet the one who's good news of great joy for all people. And hope compels them to leave everything to go and see this child And hope overflows from them as they come out from seeing this child, and they overflow with songs and praises. Why? Because hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. And Jesus means the Lord saves. And Jesus came to save. And I need a saviour. I need a rescuer. I used to work as a criminal barrister, and so I'd come alongside people who sometimes had had difficult lives, made difficult decisions, were in a bit of a fix. And it was my job to speak on their behalf. My job to try and help them, to try and put things right. And sometimes I would think, I need someone to come and speak for me. I need someone to put things right in my life because there's things I've got wrong. There's people I've hurt. There's mistakes I've made. How do I get that? Put right. And I would spend, you know, I, over the years, I, I, I represented hundreds, probably over a thousand people accused of crimes. It's great that some of you have come out tonight, actually. And, uh, <laughs> and over the years, I would read thousands of witness statements and see thousands of witnesses giving evidence. But when I read the evidence, the eyewitness evidence about Jesus's life, I thought, this is true. This is real this actually happened. Jesus isn't just a story or a nice idea. He actually lived a life of stunning beauty. He actually died a brutal death. On the cross, he bore the punishment we deserve so that we might receive the hope that is his birthright, so we we might experience healing and forgiveness and restoration. And he rose so that we could have hope in the most difficult times in life and beyond this life. And so we might be able to encounter him even today. I wonder what you hope for this Christmas. If you could write a little list for Santa, what you would put on it. It may be a new car, maybe a new house, maybe a new boss, maybe a new job. Maybe a relationship that needs to be repaired. Maybe a friendship that you've lost and you want to be able to find again. Maybe to be free of fear next year. Maybe to be free of regret next year. To have a a fresh start, a new purpose. It's hard though with Santa. I don't know how you found your encounters with Santa Santa in your life. I've, I've often found them quite difficult, if I'm honest. Um, You kind of go along as a child to Santa's grotto, and it looks okay, but then you sit down, and he starts asking you all these questions. He says, have you been good this year? And you know the honest answer to that question, but you really want a present, and so you say, yes. And he gives you a present, and you take this present away, and you slightly feel kind of sullied by the whole encounter, like, did I lie to get a present? Is that even worse? Is that going to hurt me next Christmas? I don't know. (laughs) And I wish I could go back now. I wish I'd had the presence of mind then. When Santa you know, said to me, have you been this good this year? To say, no, I haven't Santa. But let's be honest, neither have you. you know, <laughs> it's hard to be good, even for one day, even if you try really hard, let alone 365 days a year. Life is complex. It's difficult. And if we're honest, Santa, you know, I'm not sure that just being good is the purpose of life. I feel like I was made for more than mere morality. I could be good for 365 days, but I'm not sure that's a life well lived. And while we're on it, Santa, if Christmas is about anything, it's about grace. And grace is about an undeserved gift, an undeserved present. So actually, it doesn't really matter if I've been good or if I've been bad. All that matters is that I'm willing to receive the gift that's offered me. And on balance, Santa, I am. <laughs> so please give me my present. Christmas doesn't mean you can have a present if you've been good. That's not good news. You don't give gifts to people because they're perfect and have never made a mistake. You give gifts to people because you love them. And the message of Christmas in all the chaos and complexity and mess of life is that God has given Jesus for us. God has come close to us. I used to think that there were things in my life, mistakes and failures, and those were the things that meant I couldn't come anywhere close to God. But actually, they were the reasons that he had come close to me. They were why he came. And we can encounter hope in this child. God has come to us in the person of this child. He's willing to pay any price, bear any cost, to win you for himself. He knows you to the bottom of your soul, all of the good, all of the bad, all that you're proud of, all that you're ashamed of. He knows you to the bottom of your soul and yet he loves you to the sky. And he made you with the hope of eternity planted in your heart because he saved a place for you. So what I love, nativity plays actually, because they're much truer to the Christmas story then we give them credit. You know, I, it's great to turn up for a nativity play. You never know what's going to happen. You know, Mary bursts into tears. The shepherds fall off the stage. Anything can happen. If you're honest, if you go to a nativity play and it's all perfect, nothing goes wrong, you feel short-changed. You're like, I wanted some chaos. I wanted some mess. I love a nativity play. The, the chaos and the mess, it doesn't kind of detract from the story. It enhances it. And all the mess and complexity of life, God can weave even our greatest mistakes into his beautiful story. My friend was at a nativity play and there was a boy who was the kind of the difficult boy in the year. He caused lots of problems, always got things wrong, tended to mess things up. And so there was a debate amongst the teachers, should we actually put him in the nativity play or will he ruin it for everyone else? And they came up with a solution which was to make him the innkeeper And as the innkeeper, he only had three words. That was all he had to do. What happened was Mary and Joseph came in. They knocked on the door of the inn. The innkeeper had to open the door. And they said, is there any room at the inn? And the innkeeper had to say, no, we're full. And shut the door. Easy. And so on the the big night, Mary and Joseph came in. They knocked on the door. The innkeeper opened it. He looked out. Is there any room at the inn? The innkeeper said, No, we're full. And shut the door. Everyone's like, He did it! And then Mary and Joseph turned away and they started walking off the stage slowly and the music kind of came up, the sad music. And they got to the end of the stage and then at that moment, the boy opened the door again. He stepped out and he had tears streaming down his eyes. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, stay in my room, stay in my room, I'll sleep on the floor. In those 15 seconds, as he wrestled on the inside of that door, something very profound was happening in the life of that boy, because he could see hope passing by. He could see God passing by and all he could do was say, I'll make room. I'll make room. You know, so often God is gentle. He knocks on the doors of our hearts in all sorts of ways at all sorts of times. He says, is there there room? And in our pride and our busyness and our importance, we slam the door and say, no, we're full. We've got too much going on. Walk on by. But he got it. He might have been the most difficult boy in the year, but he got it. Hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. This Christmas, hope is knocking on the door of hearts and saying, is there room? Because hope wants to find a home in you. What would it look like this Christmas, For you to say, come in, I'll make room. Amen.